it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. And that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer and the brewing industry and have a conversation with the people who make the industry what it is and see what we can learn from them. And this week, I'm back in Sydney's Inner West to again chat with Wayward Brewing's Peter Phillip. The last few weeks have almost been a Where Are They Now series as we go back and find out how the last few years have treated guests that we spoke to during the COVID days to see what's changed for them and how they were dealing with what. I think we can accept are now challenging times. If you have time on your hands, it's once again worth going back and having a listen to the earlier conversation I had with Peter, which was in August 2021. This week's conversation has been prompted by Wayward launching a recession ale designed to bring attention to the economic challenges that brewers like Wayward are facing. And I was fascinated to hear from Peter what that meant about what he was seeing in the economy, but also, given our recent chat with Pat McInerney from Willie the Boatman, what Peter was seeing in Sydney's inner west as well, given that it is often regarded as one of the country's exciting craft beer hubs. This being a conversation, there are a few detours on the way to talking about those things, but regular listeners will hear some of those details include a couple of topics that have been exercising my mind over the last six months. It may not surprise some that Peter doesn't always agree with a lot of my thoughts, which always makes for a great conversation. I hope you find this conversation as interesting as I did. And this is Wayward Brewing's Peter Phillip. Peter Phillip, welcome back to Beer as a Conversation. Thanks, Matt. Great to be back. Oh, yeah, it's great to have you back. uh, I've just been listening to our 2021 conversation and... God, I, wow, I think, was, that, was that long ago, was it? Oh, my God. It's bizarre how, you know, when people make a comment, oh, you know, when, when you were here three years ago or two years ago, and I said, no, that was five years ago, um, yes. because there's that two and a half years of COVID that almost doesn't exist. Um, it was just a, a blank plane um, over the last five years. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, if you listen back to it, um, <laughs> I hope we didn't b- to make any predictions of uh, <laughs> fame and grandeur because, <laughs> uh, yeah, those were the really good old days, though. Well, and it's funny because my, my takeaway, you know, as I reflect on where we are now, um, it's it, it, it's interesting because when COVID first hit, when we first had the lockdowns in March and April, um, Pete Mitchum and I were doing an afternoon podcast just to check in on everybody. And we, you know, we called it the antidote just to, because nobody knew what was going to happen. Nobody knew what the next three months was going to be like, let alone the next two years. And there was a lot of panic. But when I go back and listen to some of the podcasts, even 12 months after that, um, when we spoke, the COVID period, despite lockdowns and the challenges that that brought on, I think for the industry, ended up being surprisingly steady um, for, for a lot of businesses because of the, whilst pubs were closed, people were still drinking and they were still drinking um, from home. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, looking back to that, 
that time, I mean, yeah, I, I remember we, we had that conversation and that was when I was, I think, still chair of the IBA and, um, and I was dealing with a lot of the, the fallout and the fear in the market and really we were correct a lot of time lobbying the government um, to, uh, to kind of save the industry. And, you know, at that time we got the, um, the increase in the excise rebate to 350, which, you know, in many ways I, t- I tell the, um, my contacts in the government that job well done, you know, that, that actually helped save a lot of breweries through that tough time. Um, and, you know, the other government money that was available really, really kept, kept businesses afloat. But, you know, that, uh, stimulus in the marketplace, I think has been, and, you know, it's been somewhat responsible for the inflation, but also it's just a global thing with, um, supply chain constriction and, and so on. It just, you know, the inflation, I think we've had a confluence of a lot of different things, inflation, businesses being in a weaker position because of the, the, the COVID crisis. Um, and then, you know, we've had higher uh, increases in tax. And now with um, higher interest rates, we've got this crisis of, of consumer confidence and just people not having enough money to spend at the end of the month. So, um, yeah, there's a confluence of things that have come together that certainly didn't didn't help having a two-year kind of hiatus with, uh, with COVID. Yeah, they're all, um, again, things that have commonly been checked, you know, right across the economy, um, you know, for all businesses that are doing it tough at the moment. One of the ones that I don't often hear mentioned in the you know in the craft brewing industry is the question of whether the you know the the unprecedented fifteen sixteen years of organic growth in demand for craft beer whether that's plateaued tapered or even started to recede. What's what's your feeling there? Um, look, I always kind of look to the u.s as a leading indicator of what's going to happen here you know i think trends that happen there um usually make their way in one form or another here uh i guess what's hard to look in the crystal ball is is whether is what effect the last two to three years have had on that um you know i think definitely we are in uh a cyclical phase, um, a cyclical downturn, but you know, beer's been around for five thousand years. It's not going to go out of style, um, and it's it's going to bounce back. Uh, I just think that there's a great uh, there's a great chart that um, Nick Boots presented at at BrewCon that sort of you know shows the uptick, you know, oh, we make the beers that we, we love, you know, we only brew, brew what we want to brew. And then it's sort of like, you know, in the plateau and the sort of downturn, oh, well, you know, we need to listen to our customers. <laughs> and then, and then where we are at the moment is, well, we just brew anything that people want. And then we're at the bo- very bottom, which is kind of despair is, was the label on there. Um, and, you know, I don't know when that starts to tick up. I don't know whether it's a 10-year cycle, a 5-year cycle, a 20-year cycle, but beer's, beer's not going out of style. It's just we're seeing, we're seeing the bottom of a cycle, and you know, I guess that's, that's economics for you. 
I, I guess beer has its own cycle that, that, that you described. Um, you know, craft beer was a revolution against what we saw before, and now we're seeing, you know, Chaveza and Japanese lagers and crisp lagers almost becoming, even in the craft, you know, for want of a better term, the craft beer industry. But at the same time, you know, the, the, the broader, when you step outside of even the brewing industry, one of the things that I've been watching very closely is, um, you know, the, the, the rise of non-traditional drink products. You know, once upon a time it was, you know, even the A, the A um, uh, what was it, the Australian Bureau of Statistics measured beer, wine, spirits. Um, they were the three things that they uh, tracked. Cider sort of started getting a little bit of a look in, but never really turned the dial too much at all. Um, whereas these days, and I, we haven't seen the data from the ABS since 2017, but you know whether the the, the ready to drink market, um, the the seltzer market, the uh, you know alcoholic soft drink market that is 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 new, whether that almost becomes a new category um, that's separate to those, and you know they seem to be pulling a lot of people away from from beer, regardless of what the internal brewing industry trends are. Uh, but, but again, I, I think that's a cyclical thing. Um, you know, you're right. Cider was was hot, you know, five or six years ago, and then it was not. Um, and then, uh, you know, wine goes through cycles. I think everything goes through cycles. Beer's not going out of style. Uh, I think that it's just a matter of, of how um, craft breweries and other businesses are pivoting to uh, to listen to their customers and, and make styles that are are popular today um, doesn't mean you're you know you're changing your whole business. I think it just is reacting to customer demand. Are you talking about beer styles or just drink styles? So businesses are getting to associate. Yeah, drink styles. So you know we developed a, a seltzer three years ago. Um, you know we're now. Uh, moving forward with things like hop water and non-alk, um, non-alk beverages. So, you know, we think we're, um, you know, LDC, Batch and Wayward, we're, we're good, uh, we're good craft beverage developers, you know, we're good craft beverage creators. So we're, um, you know, if there's a, a bit of a downturn in craft beer at the moment, well, you know, we can create other products that people people like, and uh, you know, I don't have a problem with that. Because it, it, it's interesting that you say that because in 2019, um, I was in Denver and I heard um, a gentleman who's now the chair of the Brewers Association in America, um, a guy called Garrett Marrero, and he had uh, you know thrown his Maui brewing into making seltzers. And you know was very um, unapologetic about it, um, same as you. And his his, his exact quote was, uh, "I just got into this to make cool shit." Um, and that struck me even at the time um, because it was a very different statement from what the chair of the Brewers Association in two thousand and eight was saying when we were all debating passionately about what the definition of craft beer was and, uh, you know, all of these other things, anything that used 
adjuncts or anything that used uh, other things, you know, deserve to be cast upon the fire of inter- eternal damnation. And, and, and it's funny what a healthy dose of pragmatism uh, brings to an industry. Uh, do I call it that? Um, I mean, certainly there's an element of that today. But even, you know, when we were launching uh, the IBA seal, you know, that's now going back five years. Um, you know, one of the one of the things we came up with was that, you know, there's craft beer for everybody. And mm. this this idea that craft beer has to be, uh, a, you know, a double milkshake IPA, um, just I never believed that. I always believed that, uh, you know, we should be making beers that people really want to drink. And absolutely, there's a place for double milkshake IPAs. But, well, fun, funnily but, enough, uh, back when we were debating what craft beer was, a double milkshake IPA wouldn't have fit the definition. Right. That's, that's right. Full <laughs> of and so on. But, you know, I, I truly believe that there's place in this world for uh, reasonably priced craft lagers um, that compete directly with, with um, you know, mass-produced mass, uh, lagers mm. because we're, we're never going to get to that early majority part of the marketplace and, and grow the pie if we don't actually give people what they really want to drink. You know, you, some, some people you're never going to convert away from a light lager. So why, why try to? Uh, it, it's not even so much seltzers when they're, you know, brewed um, and then flavored because, you know, they're not vastly different from a lot of the fruited beers that, that, that we're seeing anyway. I guess, um, you know, again, looking... From as an outsider, um, in, in many ways, when you see that, well, it's just as easy. It's probably easier and cheaper to make um, something that's a seltzer that just has ethanol added to to, to fruit. We could make a vodka-based uh, seltzer in about two hours, right? You fill a tank with with uh, with water. You put some uh, ethanol in it. You put some flavor in it, and bang, it's done, right? Um, mm. Runs through a carbonator, so. It's not, it's not easier to make uh, a brewed seltzer. Uh, you know, we we don't do it. Uh, we do it because we think it's a better product, um, and and I think it's something we you know we're proud of the fact it's brewed and proud of the fact the way we do it and and we've developed new techniques and and so on. It's much much harder and takes a lot longer um, to to do it the way we're doing it. Certainly. One hundred percent. I guess you know. Again, and this is where I probably look too far ahead because I don't have the. Yeah, I, I'm not burdened by trying to keep a brewery's doors open um, today, and so I look at you know what what the market will be like in twelve, eighteen months, two years, and you know watch how globally the spirits makers who are taxed differentially to to the brewers are very actively campaigning to change. Um, you know, the, the, the excise laws in their favor and what that would mean for brewing when they can very convincingly make an argument, well, brewers are being taxed more lightly on this product, that it tastes exactly the same. And for the consumer, they don't care whether it's brewed or um, a, an ethanol product. So why are they taxed differently? Yeah. So you could turn the argument around and say, well, why don't they start brewing their, their product, if they want, if they want the tax break, why don't you start brewing it? And the reason is because, um, because it, it's it's very labor intensive, it's uh, resource intensive, um, and it it um, yeah we don't we don't 
pay the uh, uh, the RTD tax, but mm. we certainly pay for the process and and all the ingredients. So it, it's um, it's you know it, it's a self serving argument. Obviously, um, you know they want they want their cake and eat it too, and um, and uh, they would dearly love to um, stop products like ours competing in the marketplace. You know we have we have a slight advantage from a tax perspective, but we have a disadvantage from a production uh, production advantage, uh, standpoint. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, uh, that's a, that's an argument I'd die in a ditch on because I just think it's it's unfair to um, to say it uh, doesn't matter what the you know it doesn't matter what the process is. It's what it what it tastes like. I mean, that's a ridiculous argument. According to well, a brewer would say that, but to again uh, a politician, you know, when the, the argument that you're making is, you know, an 18 year old doesn't care about process; they just care about flavour. And when two products made differently um, taste the same, why, you know, and are functionally the same, why, why are they tax differently would would be the, and that is the argument that the spirits council are, are making. And and ultimately, you've got to have a uh, a set of rules as to what beer is and what it isn't. And you know you can't uh, you can't set the rules and then knee jerk um, change them because we you know we've we've built made made decisions based on what the rules are and we stick to within the rules. So you know uh, beer is an uh, a, a product of an aqueous um, extraction of of um, sugars from of, of and, grains, and grains, you know, with four four uh, bitterness units of bitterness, you know, it's sort of like it's you can't just sort of go, oh my god, brewers have been innovative and created a new product that's within the definition. We better change the definition, you know, like that. <laughs> Except that's exactly what did happen, if I'm not mistaken, when that definition was created because. Uh, spirits makers were trying to get around the RTD tax by making uh, alternative beverages. Um, and so they had to change the definition of beer. So, uh, well, so I appreciate you say that it's hard to change definitions. Definitions change all the time in exactly this circumstance. Yeah, I don't know, but I don't know what, what the... Uh when that happened or what that was what what that was about but i think it was about oh, i was early 2000s uh, early 2010s i think oh from memory okay. yeah i didn't i didn't know that changed around then but anyways look um yeah i mean it, it is what it is at the moment and it, we're, we're working within the definition they're free to make products using uh if they want to if they want a tax advantage they're free to use a different process to do it so encourage them to to uh try and do it again this is why i love uh this thing that we call beer as a conversation because this was a whole rabbit hole i hadn't intended to go down uh except you were very bullish about the cyclical nature of the beer market and beer will bounce back um and uh I, i i guess i'm Looking at some of the gathering winds, skeptical about that, are you, Matt? Oh no! no. Well, I, I, I'm heartbroken if it's true. But again, um, you know, when I look at what's happening uh, globally, and uh, also when I look at some of the generational change that's taking place, and it's you know, one of one of the things that 20 years ago 
um, brewers in the big brewing companies uh, were explaining to me that the reason that beer was becoming less bitter, even in their main brands, was because, you know, two generations of um, children who had grown up from the 1970s had, you know, grown up on fruit juice that wasn't consumed in the early 70s, you know, the, the, the Tetra Pak and, um, and soft drink had very cleverly marketed itself as being, you know, with 5% natural fruit. Um, so it was seen as healthier. Um, and there has been, a, and then also even uh, soft drinks when they used artificial sweeteners, so they were seen as being less harmful than the sugar laden ones, have drastically changed palates for two generation and uh, young people weren't waiting around to acquire the taste for the bitterness of beer um, and so they were having to change their product and I, I see uh, um, the market that we're experiencing now where you know people are just weaponizing soft drink uh, in the form of hard solo um, is the natural outcome of that um, and beer is the beer is the, the 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 victim because people have to step up you know to 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 be a beer drinker you actually have to develop a palate for some flavors that are quite challenging and people just younger drinkers just aren't even doing that i don't know about that argument but i i think that uh certainly you know there is um a you know, the trend towards better for you and uh, reduction in alcohol consumption, those mm. those seem like sustained long-term trends. So, you know, maybe those, maybe that trend cycle is uh, is a, a 20 or 30 year cycle. You know, I, I if you said to me that oh, people are going to keep on reducing their, their alcohol consumption forever, I'd say, no, it's not going to happen. It's, you know, um, you know, teenagers go through cycles, you know, generations go through cycles where one generation will drink less, one generation will drink more. Um, I, yeah, I don't believe it's a, uh, it's a, um, a, a permanent, a permanent downward, uh, trend forever. I think it's, it's a cycle. Everything is cyclical. I think that, um, it, it could be a generational long cycle, which uh, which won't help <laughs> any, of our, <laughs> okay. any of our any of our businesses today. You know, I'll be uh, either retired or dead by the time that that cycle uh, comes back. <laughs> but uh, equally Sorry, well, yes. you know, it, it, it's it's so we've got to adjust to that. You know, and yep. we've we we've been adjusting to that. I think. You know, Wayward certainly has been adjusting to that since the early days. You know, we—I um, was looking back at, a, at the beers that we released, um, and this was still when I was uh, gypsy brewing. You know, I think the you know, first beer was a, a red IPA. Then, uh, then I think I did um, an ice bock. You know, a thirteen percent beer. Then the next one I did was a two point eight percent. It was called uh, Lilliput Tiny IPA, and and it was two or two and a half. Uh, it was something like three percent, three percent. Trying to be an IPA at three percent, you know, can you make an can you make a three percent beer that tastes like an that presents like an IPA? And I loved that beer. Mm. Um, it was, I think, 
looking at it now a little bit before its time, it probably would go great now. But um, so we we always played on different sides of that high and low. But re- more recently, our trend has certainly been to uh, do lower ABVs. You know, our everyday ale and everyday lager four point two. We got hazy mid at three point five. Berliner uh, Weiss at 3.8. So, yeah, I, I personally, um, I love a beer that's uh, in the fours, in the four percenters, because yeah, you can drink more of it. I like I like the taste of beer, and I like to drink. <laughs> I like to have more than one, you know. So I don't I don't I don't, I don't drink many eight uh, percent IPAs. I, I'm the same. Uh, you know, I love the flavor of beer, but when that's when I'm drinking alcohol. Um, you know, uh, again, you and I, uh, I think we established on the last time we spoke that we were both in our 50s and, uh, you know, yeah. it, alcohol, uh, our preferred form of alcohol delivery was, was beer. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and, and lower ABV and, you know, it's, mm. um, uh, you know, I go through stages where I do, I do like to drink uh, less. Um, never, never really a very serious abstainer, but, um, but you know, uh, I'm, I'm drinking a hell of a lot of hop water. I'll tell you that. I, Me I too. That. I Me too. That. I, yeah, I, I don't drink the, um, alcohol free beers, um, because yeah. to me, they're very high in carbohydrate. Yeah. That well, just calories. And, uh, yeah, if I'm abstaining from alcohol, I want to save myself the, you know, all of the things that go with drinking beer not just the alcohol and uh so hot water is my it still gives me that flavor but uh, i i think you're the only other person apart from myself that i've heard make that case well i mean we we launched um the batch version of um hot water about four months ago and it's going it's going great i mean it's uh we had we had you know um conservative um expectations for it because you know hop water uh you know isn't isn't the sexiest name to attach to something so um you know wayward's about to launch its hop water into the market which we're calling aqualupa you know lupa being uh derived from lupulin so um yeah we're trying to i think we're trying to create that that as a category i mean we're not the first to market but certainly I think it's a it's it's a good it's a great product. I love it. I drink. It's a definitely lot of it. not a saturated market. Uh, you know that's that's the thing. Uh, we're in an industry that's so competitive that uh, if if something starts to get a bit of momentum, a lot of people race into that same spot. But the the, the, the hop water seems to be both a hard sell because it's a new product, but then also an uncrowded space at the moment. Yeah. Um, so we're we're trying to educate people what it's like and what what hot water is but you know everybody that tries it really loves it so i think it's one of those products that you just have to get people get the liquid in people's mouths and they understand what it's what it's all about um in terms of a craft product really it, it is a difficult product to make right we started developing ours about a year ago um and came to really the final um, final formulation about six months ago. Um, it's not an easy product to make well. And so, you know, we're, we're pretty proud that we've brought it, you know, we can hang our craft hat on, on that, even though it's a non-alc product and it's not just, uh, it's not just de-alcoholizing a beer. Mm. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a kind of a low carb 
guy myself, so I I like to I like to consume things that don't have a, a lot of calories and a lot of carbohydrates. So, um, yeah. As I said, we've completely gone off uh, off script um, from from where I wanted to go. Yeah, we were gonna uh, we were gonna talk about uh, recession ale. A bit we, we were, um, but again, which is very we, we have obliquely been talking about the industry yeah. and yeah. Uh, the economic downturn. What what mm. does uh, releasing a beer called recession? When uh, I don't think there's been one officially declared, but obviously you're feeling <laughs> that there's a bit of a recession going on. Look, uh, maybe breweries are a leading indicator, but I don't think anybody would deny uh, in the industry that um, beer, certainly craft beer, has, has had at least two uh, two quarters of negative growth, um, uh, certainly flat. So you know, we um, when we made the call to do this. You know, we came up with the idea probably six months ago. We thought, oh, certainly Australia is going to be in a recession, a declared recession. So, you know, I truly believe that we are in a recession. All you need to look at is consumer confidence and downturn in hospitality and, you know, not only beer, but uh, all, all types of... Um, I don't think there's many beverage categories that are in strong growth at the moment. And certainly... Um, on a on a dollars per liter we're seeing um you know a, a downward trend in in that people going for cheaper products and you know people that might have bought a 40 dollar bottle of wine are now looking at the uh the boxes of wine in aldi with um with a bit more interest um so it, it it's tough out there you know interest rates have really hit people so um, people have less money and 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 so yeah so we we said we're whether we're officially or not we are in a recession and then plus we just love to play on words of session ale recession ale we yeah we we thought ourselves very clever when we thought of that (laughs) i was actually surprised it wasn't spelt with an s rather than a c um when i saw it for exactly the same reason i thought it was a a a lovely uh you know a a lovely play on words yeah we uh, debated on that we debated on that but we just thought that um if we can, you know, uh, part of our releasing this is a hope that we can get some media interest in covering, um, you know, dare I say, the plight of, of small craft breweries who are, you know, arguably in a bit of a crisis at the moment. You know, it's that uh, you just need to look at the number of, of companies going into administration or shutting down, which is, you know, just really sad. Mm. Well, we've recently seen uh, Filter get in, in your neck of the woods get a lot of uh, media attention um, for their crowdfund designed to forestall takeovers by the by the by the big brewers and uh, secure tap contracts. Yep, 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 and and good on them. I, I hope um, I hope people have enough money in their budget to um, to invest in keeping things independent because yeah, it's it's going to be. Uh, you know, we're not out of the woods yet. I mean, I conservatively think that we've got another 12 months before we really see uh, the market bounce back. One of the things I've been hearing, and we, we talked about off, off mic, um, you know, as, as we roll into summer, and a lot of brewers are very much hoping for a hot, dry summer, um, is the last two years of very wet summers. Um, 
has put a real dampener on trade. Um, you know, do, do you think that adds to all of the economic pressures, or do you think that uh, overweighs the economic pressures? And if we have a if we have a great summer um, of you know a very traditional dry Australian summer, that that people will go out and drink beer again? It's certainly not going to hurt. Um, it, it's you know the last two summers have been pretty shit. Uh, across the country and we've had that plus covid plus um many you know many um you know other things like inflation and cost of goods and cost of cans and of malt and hops and so on going up like crazy so none of these things have helped us uh so i think everybody's crossing their fingers that it's going to be a decent summer but I think anybody who believes that we're, we're going to pre-COVID consumption patterns um, is probably um, probably fooling themselves. I think that it's it's a little bit uh, I think ambitious to believe that that um, the cost of living pressures are suddenly that people are suddenly going to um, you know take the take the reins off of their spending patterns because. Yeah, with with interest rates, not that interest rates are particularly high in historical terms, but certainly everybody has been used to close to zero percent, um, you know, real interest rates for the last how many years? Ten years, and they've gotten into a mode of thinking that yeah, my mortgage is never going to go up. Mm. So, with the recession, what problem is that designed to? you know, address um, in, in, in the economy and, and how are you doing that? For example, is, is it selling at a cheaper price point and how are you getting your unit costs down to deliver a beer um, at that price point? Recession is, is trying to make the point that um, people can buy independent even when there's an economic downturn. And we're almost trying to make a point uh, in the marketplace that people really need to get out there and support independent. So I think, I'm, I'm sure... You know, everybody I speak to wants to support independent, but I just don't think they believe they understand um, what the current economic impact is on small breweries. Um, you know, I don't think that most people see the number of admin- companies going into administration and the and the um, breweries that are doing it tough. You know, like your conversation with Pat from Willie last week or the couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, it's just very very sobering to um, hearing people talk openly and honestly about the challenges that we're all facing. So facing the challenges facing that Pat's facing, everybody is facing mm. and uh, nobody's doing, nobody's doing brilliantly. Um, and so um, we wanted to bring something out that got a bit of media attention that told the story, you know, we're, um, we're considering how we, how we as an industry get together to really make this point to consumers that they need to support independent. Um, and, you know, it comes back to people really not understanding that 90% of the beer that they buy are owned by the Japanese multinational to, to massive beer companies. Right. Mm. And when you tell people that still, there's loads of people today that don't understand that and that they don't understand the importance of spending another five or $10 at the bottle shop to support independent. So it, 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 um, 
you know, maybe this is my time at the IBA coming back. And, <laughs> um, but, you know, I truly believe that we as, a, as an industry need to work together to, to get that message out there. And to um, that's what that's what Recession Ale is trying to do. You know, mm. I don't think we I don't think we could sustainably um, produce that beer at that price point. But we've taken a margin hit just to make the point. That, that, that's interesting. So it, it's almost got the marketing built in. The, the 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 cost of the marketing is built in by lowering the price of the beer to get that attention. Yeah, that uh, that's exactly the. You know, we thought well, this might get get us a bit more attention. It's. Uh, you know, marketing by stealth or guerrilla marketing, um, and maybe it gets a bit, bit more attention. Maybe it gets people buying, picking up um, a sixteen pack of Wayward uh, uh, in the marketplace, and hopefully that sticks for the summer, right? So, um, yeah, it's an experiment. Uh, we're throwing some uh, throwing some thing at the wall and seeing if it sticks. Oh, good luck uh, with how it sticks. I just wanted to. Um just just pick up on one of the things you said because it's one of the things that I like I you know as somebody who's always loved and you know personally supported small independent businesses um and particularly in breweries um because that's and that, that's my passion and it's the small independent breweries that create the vibrancy in the industry it's you know that they're often the you know doing the, the 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 real research and development for what consumers want next because they're small and they're dynamic and they can iterate much more quickly than than big brewers um and so as much as possible i seek out um you know small independent breweries to buy um but then I also, because it matters to me, I also go to small independent bottle shops um, because I want to see them survive as well. And, and I do, you know, look at how many uh, you know, small independent breweries fly the flag for independence. But then, you know, again, that word, again, pragmatic, you know, make the pragmatic decision to um have you know partner brews with um the 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 big retailers and you know it's a very hard argument to make isn't it that well the big two brewers are bad but the big two retailers you know we can work with well i mean is it though is it that really um uh an a difficult concept to get because uh you have to it's it's like somebody saying, "Oh well, you know, I want to be uh, I want to be a sustainable large size uh, egg producer, but I'm not going to mm. sell the coals and woolies." Um, I I don't know whether it's it's a reasonable argument to make. You uh, it's it's certainly that's cutting off your nose to spite your face um, to not not do business with the the, the two biggest retailers, um, you know. I think if you were to say that we only do business with with independents, um, you would be uh, certainly cutting off a large part of the potential market for your product. And you know, I still get many, many um, you know friends, acquaintances that I meet at parties go, "Oh, well, I've got a Dan's next to me. You know, can I buy your product there?" And I say, "Well, you can buy some of them, but I encourage you to go to an independent bottle shop." Yeah, because they would have a greater range and better advice, and you know, um, and all of that. So, yeah, it, you know, we uh, we don't 
you know, certainly a majority of our business goes through independence. So yeah. and we always support the independent channel very strongly. Mm. But you've you've got to do business with the the big guys if you really want to um, get to the widest possible um, consumer base. And and I guess I mean you do raise an interesting point though. I mean uh, the, the the big boys are competing directly with us with their own brands which which it does worry me um but yeah it's uh i guess it's the independent brewers are going through the same sort of um understanding when you know i'm sure the first time the grocery stores brought out their own brand of tomato ketchup heinz probably went oh my god you can't do that but you know it's it's life, I guess. Yeah, although that, that, that's the thing. It's uh, if you look on the shelves now. Once upon a time, there were probably four or five uh, different providers, and now there's probably the one major, and then the one home brand. Um, it's it, it's almost you know it, going to do. My fear is it's going to do to retail what uh, tap contracts did to uh, tap points. Yeah. I, um... I, I guess what I what I don't like about it in particular is that um, is this faux craft um, uh, you know branding that's happening. You know, I mean, you look at the own brands within the majors, and very much so, they're they're taking very similar products, and and it seems like coming out with a different brand that looks very crafty um, and has crafty crafty type labels and crafty type names and uh it's not until you turn the box over that you see it's made by pinnacle drinks Mm. hoping you know uh, hoping that people do turn and that's what we're trying to teach them i guess is uh turn turn it over Uh, mate so very uh, as somebody pointed out to me my favorite saying uh these days is uh very conscious of the time because this has certainly gone different ways other than i uh i i I expected uh but again it's been i i think it's a fascinating conversation but i did want to ask because i think we're almost um a year, nineteenth uh, of October. Uh, so nineteenth of October, twenty twenty-two. Uh, Wayward and Batch create the local drinks collective. Um, mm. Where are things at with that? It, it, it looks like there's been a fair bit of um, progress made on the, the, the two of you working together. Yeah. Look, uh, the integration of um, Batch and Wayward working together has, has been absolutely brilliant. Um, really, very glad that we we did this, Andrew and and Chris and I. Um, you know consummated our uh, our partnership um and and it's and it's worked brilliantly um uh we've gained you know the we've gained the synergies that we wanted to which are you know things like having one team to deliver beer and one team to sell beer and uh we've integrated those portfolios into um into what the reps are are selling um and, you know, it's really a, a portfolio now of three brands with W Seltzer as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, you know, we'll be bringing out uh, hot water and some other alternative products that don't have either the Wayward or the Batch brand on it. So um, it's given us a really nice platform to develop. It's It, it basically it wasn't a lot more expensive to, um, to basically manage a business or to deliver a business. Um, deliver the core, I guess, sales marketing um, 
logistics infrastructure that you need for a craft beer company for two brands is, as as it, is, you can do it almost as effectively same money for two brands as you can for one. And so that's been great. Um, you know, uh, Andrew and I have known each other for probably 12 years now. I mean, they were, they were the, um, you know, the OG brewery in the Merrickville triangle, you know, I mean, young Henry's was before them, but they're a little bit side out of, outside of the, the massive growth that Merrickville has had. Um, 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 so we've known each other for a long time. We've been mates, and uh, and 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 I think the the strongest endorsement I can give to give you this is that we're closer mates now than we were before. So, <laughs> so it's it's been it's been pretty successful, um, and we're pretty happy. And one of the things that really struck me, um, actually, when I went back and listened to our last chat, was the the, the story you told about how you and Dave Padden talked a number of times about uh you know even potentially working together in the very very early days uh and it, yeah. it, it, it sounds like that in a form has almost come uh, to, to 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 eventuate yeah look um you know in in another universe probably it would have been dave and i that got together it just happened to be that uh andrew and i were out for a beer one night and we just started kicking an idea around and uh that i'd had i'd had for a, a while um and and it was like he was like yeah i'm interested in talking about that um and we it just sort of kicked off from there um and you know it takes a lot of trust to get into these these sorts of things so we've we've had loads and loads of conversations over the last year um uh with breweries all over the country um and what we've said universally to everybody is that look, we need to we need to get this bedded down. You know, there's been a lot of integration of systems, accounting, and uh, that's been the not so fun part of this. But we now have it working pretty well. And you know, I think if if the industry was in a different place and everybody was um, in stronger positions, then I think we probably would have. Um, done something with with another brewery somewhere uh um but you know i think just at the moment we're very cautious about trying you know trying to do something um too radical um and uh we just have kept a lot of conversations going on a friendly basis where we where we um uh keep on keep on talking to a number of people but you know, nothing's nothing's come to fruition or it's, uh, uh, quite quite yet. But it'll happen. It'll happen. Mm-hmm. Like basically, we, we still have the vision, and the vision is to at least have um, have breweries uh, up and down the east coast. Um, you know, in the in the partnership and um, realizing the vision. So mm-hmm. yeah, uh, was there any impact on because I. I think after you'd announced the move, the uh, ATO was looking at the whole idea of economic independence. There was no, no nothing from their decision um, that, uh, that caught you guys up in the wash-up? The paper that came out didn't really uh, change the, um, the position very dramatically. Um, you know, we actually have a... Um, 
an application in for a private ruling um, just to, you know, we, we, we believe that what we're doing is totally within the rules. Um, uh, but, you know, it's always nice to have a little um, gold star on, the, on, the, on top of things um, that, that, that reduces the, the risk of anything, anything untowards happening in the future. Um, so, again, we, we think we're, we're operating within the rules. The current indication is that um, that's, uh, you know, they also believe that, but, you know, I'm not putting words in their mouth, but, um, you know, we, 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 uh, we believe that we'll have that. And that's just, I guess, one, uh, one more thing that would enable us to move forward um, with other parties with a bit more, bit more confidence. Terrific. Well, uh, mate, I, I know that you've taken stepped out from a uh, an all like a group uh, meeting today. I won't say too much about uh, what, what that is, but thank you very much for, for for the time and the insights. And it sounds like uh, you know challenging times, but you know you, 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 you're quite confident about the, uh, the 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 future. No, we're we're really confident about the future. We've got um, like a really interesting pipeline of new product development. Uh, that we're we're working on that um, you know will give us something to uh, something more to discuss in a in a couple of months. So uh, <laughs> we'll come we'll we'll come back when when all these new and interesting interesting products hit the market. Looking forward to seeing what they are, Peter Philip. Thank you very much for being part of this conversation. No worries. Thanks, Matt. Enjoyed it. And that was Wayward Brewing's Peter Philip. Hope you enjoyed that. It was a really interesting chat. Now, Brews News is no different to any of the businesses that we speak to in that times are pretty tough and we could use your help as well. If you're a business that wants to reach professional brewers and now is a time that we all need to stay at front of mind for our potential clients, we think that Radio Brews News is the most targeted way to do that. We have the conversations that the industry listens to and they can listen to you as well. If you would like to find out more about advertising, shoot an email through to sam at brewsnews.com.au to find out more. Now, we'll be back later this week with our wrap-up of the news of the week, including our insight and analysis, and we hope you'll join us then.